This sermon, equal yet different, true masculinity and femininity, was preached on Sunday, September 24th by Pastor Derek Overstreet at Sovereign Grace Church, Tucson. Good morning, everybody. I would like to throw my gratitude in the ring as well for Rich. When I was saved, Rich was in youth, and Rich ended up being my pastor before it was all over. So glad you can be here, Rich. Grateful that uh, you get some time away for sure. Well, open up your Bibles to Genesis 2. If you're visiting with us this morning, as Tom said, my name is Derek. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. We're grateful that you are here. Uh, we have just begun a series. Last week was our opening uh, week um, that we've titled The Final Word, Gender, Marriage, and Complementarian Roles According to the Scriptures. And this morning, we find ourselves in Genesis 2. So we like to stand up when we read God's Word here just to set this time apart. So if you'd open up your Bibles, read with me. We're going to be looking at Genesis 2, verses 18 through 23 this morning. And Genesis 2, just so you know, it's really a, a more detailed look at the passage that we uh, were in last week, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and beyond. In fact, I like the way Derek Kidner describes uh, our text this morning. He says it's really the dynamic or the dramatic outworking or expression of Genesis 1.27 that, that God created man in his image. And in his, in his image, he created him male and female. He created them. Well, now we get to peek in to what that looks like. Um, so verse 18, chapter 2, read with me. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, one of the, one, and as he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed, it, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Maybe seated. Please pray with me. Let's ask the spirit for help. Lord, we come to your word now. It's your word. It's the final word for us, beginning with how we are made right with you. Lord, I pray that you would cause it to bear fruit in our hearts. I pray those in this room who may not know you, that the one thing that would stick in their mind and heart would be Jesus and him crucified and risen and descended for their salvation. Lord, save sinners this morning, whether they are here or watching in from home. Lord, work your work, the work that only you can do. And Lord, help us to just have deeper understanding of who we are according to your great and grand design. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we looked at Genesis 1. Um, to answer the big gender question, can a man become a woman or a woman a man? Well, God has spoken the final word and it is a resounding no. The gender you were born with is the handiwork of God, not the work of human hands. No matter what you declare, no matter what you do, 
you can't change that because God is unchanging and your gender is his handiwork. But there is another gender battle being fought in our culture, indeed, even in the churches. What is true masculinity and femininity? John Piper says, at the heart of mature masculinity, a sense of, at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. As I thought about Mr. Piper's words, I thought, okay, or we could say it this way. True masculinity and femininity are experienced when men and women cherish and embrace their God-given roles in the home and the church. Now, either way, either way you choose to say it, our culture will hear that, and they have one word for it. They have a one-word response, and it's not my word, it's their word. Toxic. That is toxic. Sadly, and you know this, Sadly, we live in a society actively erasing, not blurring, blurring the lines is yesterday's news, but actively erasing any sense of gender differences. In fact, to even consider differences is increasingly intolerant and intolerable. And you know that. Maybe some of you have even experienced that in different ways. And sadly, even in the church, even in the church, the glorious truths of complementarianism are rapidly becoming extinct. If you're visiting with us this morning, our website says this about our complementarian convictions. We believe it was God's glorious plan to create men and women in his image, giving them equal dignity and value in his sight while appointing differing and complementary roles for them within the home, and the church. Listen, just let me begin here. I, I pray, I pray often, I pray fervently that we will never lose our grip on our complementarian convictions. Whether it's each person in this room individually or corporately, collectively as a church or as a family of churches, sovereign grace churches, that, that the Lord will be merciful to us and allow us to not only be held by our convictions, but to hold tightly to those convictions. And this is the focus of our current series and our text today. And, and, and you can think about today's sermon and text kind of as a launching pad to the rest of this series. But, but here's the point this morning. It's simple. Men and women are equal yet different. This God-ordained reality is, is undoubtedly affirmed through the leader-helpmate dynamic in Genesis 2. And I want to point out three ways. That there are other ways, but I want to point out primarily three ways that we see this. So for those of you taking notes, uh, the, our points this morning are God created Adam before Eve, God formed Adam out of Eve, and God created Eve for Adam. I know that's confusing. <laughs> they all sound the same. Hopefully you'll get it by the time we are done. Let's look at the, the first observation in our text. God created Adam before Eve. We, we didn't read the, the other, the, the preceding verses, but, but you're probably familiar with this text. And if you are, you understand that, that all the action between verse 7 and 20 of Genesis 2, all that action happened before woman was created. In verse 7, God formed man from dust and breathed life into him before the woman was created. In verse 15, God placed Adam in the garden to steward it when it was just Adam. In verses 16 and 17, God commanded Adam 
to not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and of good and evil. In verse 20, we, we find Adam naming the animals, which by the way, we're not, not going to talk much about this, but that in and of itself was an expression of authority to name to be able to, nay, just consider yourself as parents. Your kids didn't choose their name. Maybe more and more they do today. <laughs> they can choose their gender. Certainly they get to choose their name, right? But there is a sense of authority when it comes to naming. That, that's what we see. That's all. There's, there's a lot of activity. Genesis 2 is busy, and all of it is pre-creation of Eve. So when we, when we get to this text, we, we, this is what we find, just as his name explicitly implies. Adam was the human race. He, was, he represented it. He embodied it. Humanly speaking, Adam was the central character in creation. Everything in Genesis 2 is revolving around Adam. If you read it closely, that's what you find. As I read this week, somebody said, Adam was the Lord of the planet. He was Lord of the earth in Genesis 2. And that's important. It's important in this way. The created order matters. The created order matters. In the Old Testament, the firstborn assumed the leadership in the role of the family for his generation. And even today, in general, this pattern, this pattern continues. It's ingrained into our thinking. Recently, my brother, uh, my youngest brother sent me a family photo, and uh, I don't know, I was probably 14, and we, we were all teenagers and preteen. But he noted that, that we, none of us looked very happy, and literally, this photo is, my dad was taking it, because it was my mom and myself and my two brothers, and from my mom to my youngest brother, we looked angry. <laughs> we were not happy. Like my little brother was like this. <laughs> my, my, my middle brother said, yeah, it looks like Derek's got a gun sticking up into my back and I'm petrified about the whole thing. <laughs> it's an awful picture. But he sent that picture and he commented on it and then he ended with this. Derek, as the eldest, I'm certain, I'm fairly certain you set the tone for the rest of us. And I thought, thank you for the sermon illustration, little brother. It's ingrained in our thinking, isn't it? The order matters. It, it mattered in the Old Testament. It mattered in culture. It matters in our culture today. It's ingrained in our thinking. There is something about the firstborn and leadership, good or bad. But most importantly... Most important, we don't just see it in history. We don't just see it in our human experiences. Most importantly, the New Testament repeatedly affirms the fundamental importance of the created order. First Timothy is one example of this. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul instructed Timothy on gender roles in the church. We're actually going to look at this text uh, in a few weeks as we talk about uh, complementary roles in the church. But, and you're going to find this this morning, it, we are going to buttress our argument with Scripture itself. You know, you know the analogy of faith. Scripture best interprets Scripture. The best commentary for Scripture is Scripture itself. And indeed, when we come to Genesis 2, the best commentary for Genesis 2 is the New Testament. Paul knew this. Listen to what he says he, as, as he is instructing Timothy on gender roles in the church. In, in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, why? Why? And we'll, we'll talk about what that means to remain quiet and what that doesn't mean in a few weeks. Did Paul hate women? No. Answer? He was reading the same text we're looking at this morning. Genesis 2, how do we know that? Because he immediately says, for Adam was formed 
first. In other words, Paul says, listen, the created order needs to inform how you are thinking about and functioning as men and women in the church. I love what Alexander Strzok says. He says, since the dawn of human civilization, men, not women, have primarily ruled society. Is this by chance? Or is it by design? Why are women seeking liberation and not vice versa? Genesis 2 provides the answer. From the beginning, the creator shaped the human clay. In Now here are some fighting words. Patriarchal form. Not matriarchal or egalitarian form. Adam was the first patriarch. I dare you to post that on your social media page. <laughs> Wait till after the sermon, but I dare you. If you do, I want to know the responses again. Here's the point. God created Adam first, and that matters. That is not an incidental fact. It is fundamentally significant. It is fundamentally significant to our understanding of gender roles. So that's the first thing we see here. That's the first thing we see. Adam was created first. But secondly, we also see that God formed Eve out of Adam. And yes, that matters. Again, in verse 7, we read that, that that God formed Adam out of dust. We know that. Dust, and he breathed life into him. But Eve, woman, and by the way, the, 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 the woman, that, that name is a, is a generic name that Adam gave in our text. We don't see Eve show up until Genesis 3 when she is connected with his wife. It's a personal name. But, but we see that Eve was created. She was formed differently. Look at verse 21 of chapter 2. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a that and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. In other words, what's very clear there is woman originated from man. God fashioned her from Adam's rib. And that matters really for two reasons. First, it means that they had equality in nature and personhood, and importance. Look at Adam's description of Eve in verse 23. He says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Unlike the animals that Adam has been trying to name, Eve shared his human nature. He was created like her in the image of God. That's important. It's important, secondly, because being fashioned differently than Adam also highlights the differences in their roles. Again, the New Testament is our best commentary on Genesis 2. If you remember the Corinthian church, it was a messed up church. From communion to resurrection, it would seem that they were getting everything wrong. And that included gender and roles. And as Paul is correcting their understanding of gender roles, specifically that a husband is head over his wife, he rooted his argument not in the culture, not in the best way to grow the church, not in what would fly in the faith, that, that, would, that would fly a little bit better with the outsiders. No, he rooted it just like he did with Timothy in God's design in the created order of Genesis 2. 1 Corinthians 11, here's his argument. Here's his reasoning. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Both created in the image of God. Yes. 
both equal in personhood and importance? Yes. Different in roles? Yes. Why? Because Eve, what does it say? Eve was made from man. It matters. It matters because ultimately it's all by God's good and perfect design at the very beginning. When you read your Bible, and, and, and there are other topics, but none like this one, where Paul in particular and Jesus himself, when he taught about marriage and divorce, went back to the very beginning. That tells us something. It tells us it's unchanging. It tells us there's a pattern, a divine pattern set by God himself. And it is not our place, nor is it in our ability, try as we might, to change it. Because God is immutable in his being. He doesn't change. That's so important for us. There's one more thing here that I want to point out. God also, a, a third reason, God created Eve for Adam. He created Adam before Eve. He created Eve from Adam. And he actually created woman for man. That, that, will, get your, that, that will get your social page lit up too, by the way. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Listen, pay close attention to your Bible. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And he created woman. Up to this point in the creation narrative, there's a rhythm, there's a cadence. God creates, and we keep hearing from God himself, it is good, it is good, it is good. God creates, and it is good. Why? Because God created it, and he is infinitely good. He makes no mistakes. So it is, you take notice, when you read that God created Adam and he said it's not good. <laughs> what? It is not good. Now listen, listen. The thing here that is not good, right? Scripture is clear about. It's not good that Adam is alone. And let's be clear. It, it's not, that this, it is not good. It, it wasn't that, that is not a, God did not miscalculate. He did not underestimate Adam's ability. God's design was always man being completed by woman. But that, that divine statement of Adam's situation, God himself, okay, Adam is alone. This is not good. That, that should jump off the page of our Bibles at us. It's meant to get our attention Cause us to go, wait a minute, what, what is going on here? It teaches us something about God-ordained gender differences. Adam was Lord of the earth, remember? He was created and called by God to represent and glorify him through the stewardship of his creation. But he needed a helper, not an afterthought. In eternity past, it was always the plan. But I love it. If it was just Adam and Eve at once, 
we'd miss this. We'd miss the opportunity to, to see, to be instructed by God himself in the finer details of how he is at work. He needed a helper. You see it in those, in verse uh, 19, or in verse 20 and 20, 19 and 20, God brought all the animals to Adam. But none of them were fit to help him. None were his equal. None shared his nature. None caused affections to grow in his heart. Woman. For you dog lovers, dogs may be a man's best friend, but they don't compliment you. So God, I love the intimacy here. Don't miss that. This isn't just surgical precision by the creator. I think it's meant to show us as well how intimate God is involved in our humanity. How intentional and thoughtful and careful he is. What does it say in verse 21? God put Adam in a deep sleep and formed Eve out of his rib to be his helper. Did you know this is the first description of the woman's role in the Bible? Woman is formed and immediately her role is described as helper. That, that, that is not a demotion. It says something about Adam. It implies he was lacking something. Being alone was not good for him. He needed someone to help and assist and support him. He needed a helper. Notice the end of verse 20. Fit for him. fit for him, compatible with him, not exactly like him. Eve was not exactly like Adam. She, she was not a male, nor could she ever become a male. She was not, she was, she was not uh, his clone. She was different in her psychology she was different in her physiology. She was different. Her body was different. And yet, she was not inferior. She shared his nature as bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. She bore the image of God right along with him. And in those differences and in the sameness, Together, she was what no other living creature could be. His perfect helpmate. And what we see here is that the first woman was created for the first man. Adam was the God-ordained leader. Eve was his God-ordained helpmate perfectly designed in the mind of God to complement and partner with him as he led her to Genesis 1, 28, populate the earth, and as he led her to in taking dominion over creation and, and in so many ways reflecting the glory of God through their loving relationship. The man lovingly leading the woman happily helping. And like the first two points, far from a cultural construct, the creation order establishes this relationship. Going back to the same situation we looked at earlier in 
the church in Corinth. Paul once again grounds his complementarian argument in Genesis 2. Once again in arguing for the man as head over his wife. Do you remember what he said? He said that, you remember? I don't. I don't want to butcher it. He said man was not made from woman, but woman from man. You know, he said right after that, he said neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So listen, if you're struggling with what you're hearing right now, don't look at me. (laughs) I'm just preaching the word. These are God's words. He has the final word. Paul himself, the master theologian, a pastor at heart, eager, longing to help a struggling church whose theology is getting way off and, it, and it's having serious implications in the life of the church and in people's individual lives. Paul speaks truth into that. Hard truth, yes, but not if we understand it correctly. Men and women are equal yet different. That's what the Bible teaches us. That might not be how you were raised. That might not be your experience. That might not be what you're being taught at the university. It might not be what you're hearing or reading on the internet. It might not be what immediately resonates in your own mind. But it's God's word which is final. The man was created as a leader and the woman was created as a helpmate. And I don't know how you're thinking about this right now, but if you're wondering how Adam felt about God's design, check this out. Let's just say he was beside himself. Notice in verse 23. The Lord formed Eve. He created Eve, brought her to Adam. Verse 23, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I don't think I can read that with the right emphasis. I I think that, yes, it says God brought uh, Eve to Adam, but I think it wouldn't surprise me if, if we find out in heaven that at some point Adam saw her coming and he got up and he sprinted. There was probably a little voom and a little bit of, oh, good help is on the way. But no doubt Adam was thrilled. Just, you, you, you can see, this is At last, he says. Pay attention to those small, seemingly insignificant words when you read your Bible. This is at last. Oh, Adam has been longing for this. Adam has been longing for a helper. Why? Because God created him to long for a helpmate. And here God provides him for one. Perhaps he was losing hope as he named animal after animal. Perhaps he thought, will I ever... Find somebody who can compliment me, who can come alongside of me, who can ride this journey with me. I don't know. But what I do know is that the Bible says when he saw the woman God had created out of him for him, he was ecstatic. He loved it. It was good. It was right. She was beautiful. In his eyes. Love at first sight, I'm sure, if ever there was. That's what Adam thought about it. And yet, and yet, we live in an age of increasing uncertainty and unrestrained disdain for God's beautiful design for men and women. You know that. Even in the church, there's too much moving away from humble confidence in the authority of God's word. Why? 
I don't want to judge anybody's heart, but I, I think at the end of the day, it's to accommodate a culture. It's for the sake of big churches. It's to fly under the radar. How did we get here? Well, turn to your Bibles. Just look over at chapter 3, verse 16. You guys know chapter 3. Sin enters God's perfect creation. The fall. And God goes to Adam. <laughs> another, another reminder that Adam is the head. We read that Eve ate the fruit. But Adam, as the representative, as the head, took the fall. You know, she tried not to. That, that woman you gave me, I know I was jumping up and down over there, but man, she's a problem. She, she, it's her fault. I can't control her. And notice in verse 16, there is judgment being handed out for the sin in the garden that plunged humanity into darkness. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you should bring forth children. And then look what he says. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but that phrase, rule over you, it means your husband will dominate you. It, 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 it means your husband will be harsh. That's why we see physical abuse in marriages. By the way, if that's you, if, if you are trapped in that, whether you are here or you are listening out there or you are suffering from the lingering effects of being ruled over, physical, emotional, whatever I'm being, come see your pastor so we can help you, so we can point you to your true identity and your real hope and peace so we can lead you to the only God who truly heals. But that's what that is. Part of the curse for the woman was your, your husband will dominate you. It's the opposite of lovingly leading. For the woman, though, you'll notice, he said, your desire shall be for your husband. The word desire, don't, don't, that's not sexual. It's actually a longing for the husband's role. You will want to be in your husband's shoes. You will desire what the Lord has ordained for him. And there you go. Genesis 3.16, the man's violent war on women and the feminist movement begins. But you know what? What we also see in here, in this curse, is a glimpse of the gospel in verse 15. I will put M between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That, that, is, a, that is a flashing neon arrow pointing us forward in time, in God's time. To when he would enter the flow of fallen humanity, live for our righteousness fully and completely satisfying the glory of God in every way. And then, innocent as he was, willingly give his life up on a cross where he wasn't merely suffering in ways we can't imagine, but more than that, where he absorbed the full divine wrath of God the Father for you, for me. We see the gospel in Genesis 3, and the gospel reminds us, the gospel reminds us that part 
of what God is doing is he is redeeming gender differences through the gospel. That this reality of the gospel reflects, in fact, the, 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 the relationships within the Trinity where we, where we find an equality of personhood. Three persons, equal in their deity, equal in their godness, if you will, yet each with a different role. We see that in creation, and in particular and most gloriously, we see that in redemption. God the Father who devised a plan to bring sinners to himself, to make them right. Jesus the Son, who willingly carried out that plan, which meant for him entering the flow of fallen humanity, becoming a servant, humbling himself even to the point of death on a cross. Why? So that your sins and my sins could be forgiven as they were heaped on his shoulders. And God looked down upon him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, as if he had committed every one of them, though he knew none of them. He carried out the Father's plan. God incarnate and the Holy Spirit, his role submitting to the Father and the Son and applying that, making that work of Jesus at the cross and in his resurrection effectual in your own hearts so that you could come alive to the truth of yourself and Jesus and believe and have salvation. Oh, the gospel's here. The gospel's here in Genesis 3. Genesis 2 points to the reality of the gospel. Jesus joyfully doing the work for us. And listen, as we allow our minds, as we allow our hearts to be shaped by Christ's loving sacrifice for us, we will increasingly embrace even long, even long, to give ourselves to God's ways and how we relate to one another, how we see each other as male and female, created equal yet different. We're reminded of this gospel connection uh, by the Danvers statement. If you're not unfamiliar with that, it's... You should, it is, it is part of our new member agreement, but uh, the Danvers statement is simply a set of core beliefs. It's a set of core beliefs uh, about biblical manhood and womanhood. It's put out by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, I, I love what it, the connection it makes. It says, redemption of Christ aims at removing the distortions introduced by the curse. Do not leave the gospel out of this one. We can't. God is redeeming. Even as he redeems our hearts, he, part of that redemption is, is moving us along to walk in the goodness of how he made us. In the family, husbands should forsake harsh or selfish leadership and grow in love and care for their wives. Wives should forsake resistance to their husband's authority and grow in willing, joyful submission to their husband's leadership. In the church, Redemption in Christ gives men and women on equal share in the, in the blessings of salvation. Nevertheless, some governing and teaching roles within the church are restricted to men. Husbands, the gospel calls you to lead your wives and families with diligence, understanding, initiative, and gentleness, working hard to support your families. That's part of the gospel claim on our lives. If you are a man... Particularly if you are a married man, that, that's part of the gospel claim. When, 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 God, when God redeemed his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, they didn't just march out going, yeah, we're free. He took them to a mountain and he said, here's how you will now express that freedom. Here's how you will now live for my glory as my people. And these gender roles are just one way. Wives, the gospel claim on your life is to willingly and joyfully submit to your husbands with respect, 
responding to their leadership as you help them build a godly home and you help them advance the mission of your local church. When you think gospel mission, this is part of it. Don't leave it out. Enjoying and embracing and celebrating the created order and individual roles. It is the fruit and effect of allowing Jesus' love for you to pour out into your relationships as a light in the darkness. Listen, the church, the church, well, no, actually, yeah, some, the church as well, but the world in particular needs to see this on display. It is a light in the darkness. Oh, some of them might cast us off, but never underestimate how God will use you just living for Jesus in your marriage, just living for Jesus in your church, just embracing and doing what God calls you to according to your gender. Don't underestimate. People are watching. When my wife got saved, she invited me to church. She went, and I don't know, do you take the kids? Good, good, good for you, good for you. But guess what? I was watching. I was rejecting Outwardly, but inwardly, I was watching. I was saying to myself, maybe there is something to this. She's changing. Well, that's, that looks good. That looks beautiful. I like that. Don't underestimate. Living this out unashamedly, unapologetically, unequivocally, wherever the Lord has you. Listen, if you're sitting there going, well, I'm single, so what about me? Well, we're going to talk about you a little bit more in the coming weeks. But listen, I want to be clear. If you're a single man, you do not, you, you are not the head of your single sister, okay? Let, let, let's be clear. If you are a single woman, you, your single friend and community group, he, he is not your head. You are not called to yield and submit to him. But guess what you can do? You can practice. You can give each other the opportunity to experience the joy and the wonder of walking in those God-ordained roles, which, which probably most of you will find yourself in one day. Hold on. Be patient. Marriage isn't the end all. I hope you do get married, but God has a plan for you. Listen, I, 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 I want to I be clear about one thing. Whether you're looking in or you're here and you're not a believer, complementarian roles, gender differences, do not define us as Christians. It's important. And we see that in Scripture. From the beginning of Scripture in the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament. It's important. But if you're here today, that's not what you need to know the most. What you need to know the most is the one who this is all for and who all this is all because of. We identify with Jesus Christ. Before I am a man, I am a Christian. And I am only a Christian because of Christ and in Christ. Before you are a wife, before you are a woman, before you are a mother, you are a disciple of Jesus. He, he, not a set of doctrines, not, not a set of core biblical values or principles. Christ and Christ alone is your identity. He is your hope. He is your strength. He is your peace. You can perfect what we're talking about today. And, and you know what? If you don't have Christ, it means nothing. And so if you're here this morning, I don't want you to misunderstand. Sovereign Grace Church, that's a complementarian church. No, Sovereign Grace Church, that's the gospel church. And the fruit and effect of the gospel is we embrace what God has for us. And we walk in it. Why? Because when we walk in the righteousness of Jesus, it is always good, right, 
beautiful and loving. So know Jesus. Know Jesus above all things. Acknowledge you're a sinner before him this morning. Cast yourself at his mercy and say, Lord, I, I don't know much about gender roles. All I know is I'm a sinner in need of grace. And my struggle with gender roles is just evidence of that. Save me by the blood of your son. Boy, when that comes from the heart, Scripture teaches us in Romans 10, he will save you. God has not only the final word on gender, he has the final word on how you are saved. And it is by grace, through faith, and that a gift so that no one may boast. You don't got to talk a certain way. You don't got to look a certain way. You just cast yourself at the mercy of Jesus. And when you get up, you realize he did it all. Listen, in a few weeks, we're going to talk more about how true masculine and femininity are expressed through our roles in marriage in the church. But I want the worship team to come up. And I want to close with this. It's a conversation between two men. I'm sure glad we took the time to study the scriptures together. Tom comments, not that Tom, but I didn't realize how much the Bible says about gender. I, I didn't know how clear it is about this subject. That's what has impressed me the most. Tom, let me repeat what I've been saying all along. If the Bible is allowed to speak for itself, it, if, if plain, it plainly teaches that God created men and women equal in his divine image, but different in their respective roles and functions. One has to twist the scriptures to eliminate gender roles, differences from the Bible. You're right. But people believe in gender equality so strongly that they won't accept role differences no matter who says it. I know. We're standing against a worldwide wave of opinion. It's tough to stand against the tide, Tom says. True. But we've been called to be faithful to Jesus Christ and his word, not the popular opinion. Friends, take courage. Stand in grace. Remain firm in your faith. Model biblical gender with joy. Why? Because God has clearly spoken. Heaven and earth, culture and governments will all pass away, but the final word of God remains forever. So stand in it. Stand on it. Persist. And watch God work in you and through you.